Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 17 of Genesis chapter 3. And we're looking at verses 14 and 15. And Jehovah God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shall bruise his heel. I'll stop reading there. Now, uh, in our last study, we were looking at God's pronouncement of the curse against the serpent, that he was cursed above all cattle and beasts. And we saw how... Uh, mankind is typified by both cattle and beast on occasion in the Bible, and that the curse upon the serpent is primarily pointing to the curse on Satan, Lucifer, who was a fallen angel, and all the angels that fell with him, and that the curse upon the fallen angels was greater then it was even upon mankind or or on the animals on the creatures because there was no salvation provision made for any of the fallen angels there was salvation made for man actually before the world was christ died and therefore it was available from the very beginning and We'll see, Lord willing, in chapter 4, the next chapter of Genesis, that Abel is saved, that that he is righteous Abel. And so God saves a man early on, and of course, all the way through the Bible, salvation was available, and even after the Bible was completed, there was a long stretch for the church age, and then the glorious Conclusion of God's salvation program during the second part of the Great Tribulation and the falling of the latter rain to save a great multitude. Therefore, sinner man, yes, cursed, but, but cursed with possibility of blessing because God sent forth his word into the world, his gospel to save cursed sinners. But Again, God did not send the gospel into the world to seek and find a fallen angel. There, there was no provision, no allowance made of any kind for the fallen angels. And by the way, that's why God in the epistle of James brings up the fallen angels and their belief in the context of work, it says in James chapter 2, in verse 17, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. And 
God's point is for men that you can say you have faith. All, you know, you can say that all you want and, and all, all kinds of people do. But if it does not have works and the works in view are the works of the Lord Jesus Christ from the foundation of the world in being laden with your sin, in dying for your sin, that's the work and faith of Christ. If your profession of faith has not those works, then it's dead, being alone. And and that's why the whole corporate church today is dead, because they have the profession of faith, but they lack the works. And we know they lack the works because... God commanded all his people, the elect, who Jesus performed the work of salvation for, to come out of the church, to be as the wheat separating from the tares, and leaving behind a church of professors, a corporate body um, numbering about two billion that say they're saved, but they lack the work. And the evidence of salvation, one of the evidences would have been to come out in obedience to God's command. Well, it goes on here in James 2, verse 18. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. Now, this is Jesus who's the man who may say this. And he's speaking to those who profess to believe. Thou hast faith, I have works. That's Christ speaking of himself. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Jesus demonstrated his faith through his works, and the works that were finished from the foundation of the world. Then in verse 19, thou believest that there is one God. Again, God is speaking to a church world that believe in God, they believe in Jesus, and so forth. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. That That is a right thing to believe. The devils also believe and tremble. The devils, the fallen angels, also believe and tremble. And we have accounts, a historical record, where they come forth and speak of Jesus as the Holy One of God, and so forth. They knew who he was They believed in God, but their belief in God or acknowledgement or understanding of God provided no salvation for them. Why not? Because they lacked works. They lacked works. Now, um, there there are people who look at this and say, yes, they, they didn't do good works like obeying God's commandments or or carrying the gospel. No. It's not that works, it's the work of Christ performed on their behalf. That's why God brings up believing devils in this context, because there was never, ever any work of atonement made on their behalf. So the devils believe and tremble, but it doesn't do them any good whatsoever Concerning salvation, they they could have, uh, and, and some do, greater faith than many men that profess to believe. And it's the same with the men who make profession. 
It doesn't matter what you believe intellectually. What matters is you have faith and works. If you lack the work of Christ performed on your behalf, your faith is worthless. It's dead being alone. And again, that is why the serpent is cursed above every beast of the field and above all the cattle because it it was a terrible thing to come under condemnation of God and and under the wrath of God without especially there being any possibility at any time uh, at, in any way to come out from under the wrath of God to escape um, and and to become saved, and and so God is uh, making a point of stressing that here that the serpent is cursed above all men, and then He goes on to say in the second part of verse fourteen, um, "Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life." This is the curse upon the serpent and, and God is, yes, again, describing a snake's experience. He goes upon his belly and he, uh, he makes his way through the dust. But it has application to Satan, to the, the fallen angel Satan. And we're going to look at this because this is interesting language. First part is, upon thy belly shalt thou go. And the word belly is Strong's number in Hebrew 1512. And it's only found two times, once here and once in another place in the Old Testament, and that's it. Uh, it, It is not the usual word for belly that is used other times So God didn't choose that word. He chose a word that's only found in Leviticus 11. And so we're going to have to learn how God uses it in this other verse in order to understand the verse we're looking at. In Leviticus 11, beginning verse 41, going into verse 42. And every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth shall be an abomination. It shall not be eaten. Whatsoever goeth upon the belly, and whatsoever goeth upon all four, or whatsoever hath more feet among all creeping things that creep upon the earth, them ye shall not eat, for they are an abomination. And in Leviticus 11, God is laying down the law, the dietary laws for his people, and he is separating between clean and unclean animals. And whatsoever goes upon the belly is an unclean animal, and uh, and, and you should not eat it. Now, I know that's disappointing to some that uh, might like to fry some snake up, but, but actually, uh, in case you, you wanted to have a, a meal of serpent, uh, actually, God changed the law in the New Testament with Peter and when he lowered the sheet with all sorts of unclean creatures and he commanded Peter to rise and eat. So anyone 
who would want this kind of a meal is actually permitted now today by the law of God to to partake. But I don't think there's too many people who, who would want that kind of a meal. It was the law of God, whatever goes upon its belly, like a snake or a serpent, ye shall not eat. So it's unclean, and it is also said to be an abomination. It's an abomination. Now, now that's interesting because we know that in the New Testament, when uh, God is, the Lord Jesus is answering the disciples' question, what should be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world, that we read about an abomination. In Matthew chapter 24, it says in verse 15, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth let him understand, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. So the abomination of desolation. And how have we understood that? As a reference to Satan, as a reference to the evil one, to the one also known as the serpent, who has entered into the holy place of the corporate church. And God says, when you see this abomination of desolation, then it's time to flee. And that's what the Lord's people did when they came out of the churches and congregations. And and so we have evidence that Satan is called an abomination. And, and this is taken from the book of Daniel, where he's also called in a few places the abomination that maketh desolate. And and this can be understood. That's what a serpent is. A serpent is something that goes upon the belly. Whatever goes upon the belly is an abomination. And, and so it fits that way. Now, um, the word abomination in Leviticus 11.42 is 82.63 in a concordance. A uh, related word is 82.62. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and the last verse of the chapter, verse 26. Neither shalt thou bring an abomination into thine house, lest thou be a cursed thing like it. And that also relates to Matthew 24. When you see the abomination of desolation, stand in the holy place. What's another another um, way of saying the holy place? The house of God. And, and so an abomination was brought into the house. And, and God says, you shall not bring an abomination into thine house lest thou be a cursed thing like it. So Satan is cursed, and when he entered into the house of God, when the abomination that maketh desolate, or the abomination of desolation was set up and stood in the holy place, the church became a cursed thing like him. And God goes on to say, But thou shalt utterly detest it, for thou shalt utterly abhor it, for it is a cursed thing. And that uh, fits in exactly with the point that God is making in Genesis 3, verse 14. 
as he sets the the serpent previously from all we can gather uh, a creature that did not go forth upon its belly it it was in a different form somehow but as god alters the creature and god did alter animals he turned them in the sense from um plant eaters to man eaters and so there there were changes made in the animals in the case of the serpent he began to go upon the belly and when he went upon the belly he became that which is considered an abomination and an abomination is a cursed thing and and so the action the physical picture that god is drawing with this curse upon the serpent is pointing to the terrible curse that God brought upon Satan and all fallen angels. They became an abomination and uh, just a cursed thing in his sight. And when they enter into a house, the house itself becomes, like them, a cursed thing. Okay, now uh, going back to Genesis 3, verse 14... Upon thy belly shalt thou go, so you'll be an abomination and a cursed thing. And dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Now, we wonder about the word dust. God says, dust the serpent will eat. Now, we wonder because dust is a word that identifies with mankind. If we go back to Genesis chapter 2. It says in verse 7, And Jehovah God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So God formed man of the dust. And yet God continues to consider man as dust. In Psalm 103, verse 14, For he knoweth our frame he remembereth that we are dust. And that's speaking of all men. In Psalm 104, it says in verse 29, Thou hidest thy face, they are troubled. Thou takest away their breath, they die and return to the dust. We, we came from the dust and we return to the dust. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, it says... In verse 7, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. We can find many similar verses that relate dust to man. Dust and and mankind. Now, dust also uh, identifies with death in a couple of these verses, because when you return to the dust, that's dying. You You've gone to the grave, and you've ceased to live. Your spirit has left you. So that that's something we have to keep in mind. There uh, is a similar verse, similar sounding, to Genesis 3.14, concerning uh, eating the dust, in Isaiah chapter 65. In Isaiah 65, in verse 25. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock, 
and dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, saith Jehovah. Dust shall be the serpent's meat. Now here, it would seem, because of the language of the wolf and lamb feeding together and the lion eating straw like the bullock, it's language in this context especially that if we go back to verse 17 where God's speaking of a new heavens and new earth. And and therefore, it's language befitting uh, a sort of renewed Eden that, that God has made a new heaven and new earth where all will be well once again and perfect and there will be no sin, no death, and whatever creatures are there, they will be uh, at peace with one another. They're, they will not be destroying one another in any way and so forth. But that's what makes the statement about the serpent stand out. It, it doesn't seem to fit unless we do understand that when it says dust shall be the serpent's meat, that the dust uh, would identify with a return to death or death itself as man goes to the dust and the graves are in the dust. Therefore, hell is in the dust. And and so the serpent's meat would be death. It, it would be dead forever in the new heavens and new earth. We We know that is the actual case because the rest of the Bible teaches us that Satan will be destroyed and he will cease to exist. He, he will not go on forevermore and, and therefore in Satan's eternal destruction, it's an eternal death for him and all the fallen angels and, and therefore uh, identification with the dust. But there seems to be another point to God's statement that dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life, because that is making reference to Satan's existence in time, because it's speaking of days, and and days are a time reference, and time is confined to this creation, with the sun, the moon, and the stars as the timekeepers, and and therefore, all the days of the serpent's life would involve all of Satan's existence from this point in the Garden of Eden throughout the whole history of the world. We know that that he has existed because he's he's not a man and and men have died after a certain number of years. All men die, but these fallen angels. They do not die like men in that sense. They'll have to be destroyed by God at the very end. And so Satan has existed up until now over 13,000 years of history. All the days of his life, he has continued on. And that that's why I remember uh, that statement concerning First John, concerning the Antichrist, uh, it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. 
So the Antichrist will come, that is, at the end of time, and John, the apostle, is writing in the first century A.D. as the Holy Spirit moves him. The Antichrist will come 2,000 years from now, from the point of John's writing about, and already now, in the first century A.D., is in the world. And that's what proves it's Satan, because no man could have existed and lived in the first century and still be alive in the 21st century. It's not possible. And yet it is possible for Satan, the Antichrist, who was in the Garden of Eden, not only in the first century AD, but he was way back in the year 11,013 BC. And he was around at the time of Christ when Jesus entered into the world and and when John was writing, and all through New Testament history, all the way to the end. That's all the days of the serpent's life, and yet his lifespan will be limited to this creation. When God destroys this world, he will destroy the serpent. The serpent will be annihilated, as all the fallen angels will be, and they will cease to exist. Therefore, the dust that he eats all the days of his life must be something else. Well, we find from that verse in Psalm 65, the word meat is also used in Psalm 14, Psalm 14 and verse 4. And here God is speaking about sinners, and he says in Psalm 14, 4, Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and call not upon Jehovah? The word bread is the word meat. Workers of iniquity eat up my people as they eat meat and call not upon Jehovah. And the word eat is the same as in Genesis that he will eat the dust all the days of his life, and here the unsaved are eating up God's people like meat. And remember, what is an identification with people or mankind? Dust. So if you're eating up people like meat, it could also be understood you're eating dust like meat. And so we we see that um, there there could be um, a relationship here, and there is actually, between Satan eating up man and uh, meat for the serpent, or, or uh, eating up the dust all the days of his life. Well, uh, we've come to the end of our time in this study. Lord willing, when we get together in our next study, we'll take a look at the word... Um, uh, or we'll we'll look at this verse a little bit more closer or carefully, and and we'll I think get a better idea of what's being said. Thanks for joining us for E Bible Fellowship's evening Bible studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over Pal Talk, Skype, E Bible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.